This is the Podcast Inc. production. Booyah! This is the moment podcasting fans listening around the world have been waiting for. Coming to you not so live from a listening device of your choice. It's time! Podcasting out of this corner, a mixed martial talker, holding no professional record. He stands at six feet one and one half inches tall, weighing in at whatever he feels like, hailing out of Toronto, Ontario, Canada, presenting the sometimes angry, always funny, Self-proclaimed podcasting champion of the world, Steve Fingerstyles! So, welcome to another rendition of the podcast. I am here once again, always again, and brought to you by Black Belt CBD. If you're into CBD products or you want to try CBD products, go to blackbeltcbdproducts.com. Use promo code THEPODCAST25. You'll get 25% off. They ship worldwide. They have mostly roll-ons and rub-ons and stuff like that. It's more for inflammation. So your athlete out there, this is perfect for you. You could use this every day. There's no THC, so you won't get high. You won't test positive if you're being tested for any sort of sport as well. So you don't have to worry about any of that shit. And like I said, go to blackbeltcbdproducts.com use promo code thepodcast25 and if you're a woman that's what happens to be listening to the show i still don't know why but thank you very much and because you do listen and if you like to shop online go to poppyapparel.com it is a woman clothing apparel store if you use promo code thepodcast with a capital d you'll get 10 percent off they ship worldwide and it's free shipping when you spend more than 50 dollars and if you're into nerd culture if you like to collecting shit or if you like sign memorabilia if you're into wrestling hockey cards, any of that sort of stuff, comic books, go to firstrow.ca. This is a Canadian company. So to all my American listeners, everything you see there is in Canadian funds, so it's a little bit cheaper for you. And if you use promo code THEPODCAST20, you'll get 20% off. They update daily, and like I said, they have everything you need or want, signed memorabilia, baseballs, any sort of sport, any sort of comic book, they have it. Wrestling figures, you name it, they got it. And if you want to support me directly, please, if you scroll down on your device right now, it's embedded right there. There's a link to go to my merchandise store. It's at tpublic.com. I got everything from t-shirts to hoodies to even baby onesies to phone cases. Anything you need or want is there, and that supports me directly. And lastly, the most important thing, the easiest thing anyone can do, like I say every week, but yet still people don't do enough of this because I see how many listeners I have and I see how many ratings and it's not even close. So if you're listening, please, it takes two seconds, rate, subscribe, review. The big one obviously is Apple Podcasts, but if you don't have an iOS device, there's also Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. So onto this week's guest, he is a former WWE United States Champion, Money in the Bank winner, two-time TNA world champion, and you could catch him now every Tuesday on NWA Power, Mr. Ken Anderson. 
Thank you very much for having me. No, thank you for coming aboard. How are you, my friend? <laughs> well, you're still doing the wrestles. You've been doing it for quite a bit now, haven't you? Uh, this this is my 21st year. Shit! Wow, really? Yeah, it's crazy. It, it flew by, and you know, then it it crawled apart. So, <laughs> so when did you actually get your first start? Who trained you? All that spiel. So, if people don't know you, where you came from? Yeah, I uh, I was living in Two Rivers, Wisconsin, and okay. I became a wrestling fan. I didn't grow up watching wrestling. Right. And then um, I fell in love with it about 96, 97 when the Attitude Era was just kicking off and Austin was really getting popular, you know. And I, I used course. to give my buddy a really hard time. Like, what the fuck are you watching? <laughs> and uh, I was at his house one night and he's like, we're watching. There's this fucking guy that's just tearing the scene up, man. And right. So... It, it was on in the background, and I heard the glass break, and I saw Steve Austin drive out to the ring in a pickup truck. You know, mm. drove to the ring in a pickup truck. You know, six pack of beer on his lap, and right. I immediately, you know, I come from a pretty small town, redneck, uh, <laughs> blue collar town, and uh, I immediately connected with that guy. You know, and I was like, sure. All right, he's pretty cool, but everybody else sucks. Right, and I would start watching every week just to see what he would do and uh well, well maybe undertaker's cool too and and then slowly but surely i got roped into everything else and uh before i'm uh, you know i'd go to work in that i was a nuclear security officer i was oh, an wow. armed, armed security officer in a nuclear power plant and okay all we would fucking do all night because you would sit in a box all night and just pray that somebody would hop over the fence and we could do something <laughs> that's but, hilarious <laughs> nobody ever did right <laughs> uh, we would just call each other on the phones and or we would talk when we were in passing or whatever and we would just talk wrestling the entire time and did you see what happened on Monday and well oh, the way they went off the air was crazy what, right. what do you think can happen and it was just it was crazy and I at some point realized that I could go to a wrestling school mm. and I contacted a wrestling uh, a company in promotion down in, in Chicago. I remember I went home. I was at a party one night. Somebody said, you can go to wrestling school and learn how to do that shit. And I, right. It had never dawned on me. And uh, I went home and I searched, you know, I think it was AOL.com at the time. Or whatever, right. You know, it was like the infancy. <laughs> Google wasn't around yet. So nope. I found a wrestling school. And I, I remember thinking, you know, I lived in Two Rivers, which is close to Green Bay, okay. Wisconsin. And I remember thinking, well, there aren't going to be wrestling schools in little towns or anything like that. I'm probably going to have to go to one of the big cities. The closest big city is Chicago. Makes sense. Uh, and so I looked up, I mean, I was wrong, but uh, <laughs> I, I looked up wrestling schools. I found one right around Chicago. And I remember thinking at the time, well, I can, I can drive down there on the weekends and I'll sleep in my car and I'll do, do whatever I need to do. Right. And it turns out that that guy that I contacted knew of a guy who was starting a wrestling school in Green Bay. Oh, wow. And I ended up, I was his first student. It was two guys, um, guys by the name of uh, Eric Hammers and uh, Mike Mercury. Okay. They were starting up a new school called the Dojo of Pain. <laughs> and I went there and uh, I think it was 125 or 250 to do a tryout, to just get okay. in the ring and do a couple things, hit the ropes, take a couple bumps. And I remember... 
I stepped foot in the ring for the first time, and it was like, our, this is awesome. I, I have to do this. <laughs> and it was this shitty old 16 by 16 foot ring. The ropes were really floppy. They looked yeah. like spaghetti noodles, and there were blood stains <laughs> and rips all over the canvas. And I remember uh, Mike pointing to a spot of blood and he was like that's the honky tonk man's blood and I was like, oh, wow. that's fucking cool right and uh <laughs> so yeah i trained i started training there i trained every sunday for three hours um for like nine months okay. and then i had my first match and then i just tried to get his booked as much as i could and i spent six years on the independent scene just trying to get better and then uh yeah. and then i finally got hired by wwe so how, when did you find out you had the gift of gab? Because it's not like something you find out just naturally. Someone's got to point it out to you or you got to work on it. Like, when did you know when you take that mic, it's gold? Uh, well, I don't know if that's necessarily gold, but... <laughs> well, uh, in my but, opinion. But I don't know. I, since, the time I, since I was a little kid, I just... I was always into, you know... If my buddies had a video camera, like, let's make our own movie. We would write stuff and just right. goof off. I remember I would listen to, my dad had some old Bill Cosby stand-up albums right. downstairs, and I listened to those things nonstop. To this day, I can recite you know, every joke off of those albums. Wow. And, and then it, I got into Eddie Murphy and stuff like that when I got into like 7th and 8th grade. Yep. And, uh, and I just, I was... I got into play acting, and I was in a couple plays and things like that. I always wanted to be an actor. Okay. And then uh, speech class, too. I was uh, I loved speech class in high school. Oh, wow. And then when I got into wrestling, I remember you know, that was something that I always tried to do. I would always ask promoters, can I cut a promo or can I do something? And, Smart. And luckily, you know, so I was always able to work on stuff like that. Oh, that's pretty Cause, cool. Because the guys that I always gravitated to were the ones that could talk. Steve Austin, The Rock, guys right. like that. No, that makes complete sense. So now I got to ask, this whole asshole gimmick. When did yeah. this come out to be? Because obviously they say a true gimmick is someone cranked up, as you said, Stone Cold said it on his podcast plenty of times, 100% cranked up personality, right? So where did all this come from? And I love it too, because who would have thought that at one point in TNA, everyone's literally chanting, asshole as a chant like you know what i mean well if you remember back in the late 90s early 2000s there was a common chant like when every time vince would come out to the ring the crowd would chant asshole asshole true yeah and some point along the line, this was like right before uh, I got signed, maybe maybe a year, year and a half before I got signed, I came up with the you know, catchphrase, nice guys finish last, thank God I'm an asshole. Perfect. And and then when I got to OVW, I, I was uh, hitting that in my promos and stuff like that in practice. And then I got to thinking like, what if the asshole thing was a baby face instead of being a, a negative, they were like, let's go asshole. Right. You know, like, and so when I got called up to the active roster, Vince asked me, I was in a meeting with Vince and Stephanie and Kevin Dunn and, and uh, Johnny Ace mm. kind of going over just everything. 
where I envisioned myself going and, he, and Vince asked me, he said, do you have any catchphrases? And I said, nice guys finished last, thank God I'm an asshole. And they had just sort of started tiptoeing down the line of being more family friendly. Right. And uh, he was like, yeah, we, we can't do that. No, <laughs> no, you can't say that. And so then fast forward to my uh, WrestleMania Money in the Bank win. Mm-hmm. During the day, they had told me, Michael Hayes had, had said, you know, after you, after you win, we're going to bring, bring it backstage and we're going to interview you on the spot. And this is where we want you to have your Austin 316 moment, you know, uh-huh. when Austin stumbled upon that that catchphrase and just a legendary amazing promo Mm -hmm. and uh i i immediately thought like i'm gonna i'm gonna hit that line and unfortunately i asked permission Uh. there's one of the one of the worst mistakes i feel like i've ever made in the business honestly (laughs) um i asked permission instead of look it was pay-per-view it was wrestlemania if i would have just said it in the moment and they even if they would have bitched at me a little bit, mm. like, oh, I was just feeling in the moment, I'm sorry. I don't think there would have been a problem. But I asked, hey, is it okay if I say this? Right. And then uh, Vince said, no, you can't say that. Um, so then if you ask permission and they say no, mm. you can't do it. You yeah. know, it's better to ask for forgiveness than it is to ask for permission. Of course. So, and then years later when I was in TNA, um, I cut the same promo. Mm-hmm. I finally hit it there because they were a little more, you know, they were on Spike TV. And, right. Uh, a little more salacious and, and they got away with more adult content. And I I hit it. I didn't ask permission this time. And <laughs> I, had I asked permission, they wouldn't have cared. I, I don't right. Think, but, and then um, the next week, uh, Vince Russo picked up on it and he was like, you know, Jeff Hardy's got his fans. They're called the Creatures of the Night. And you've got Anderson's assholes. And then I hit that promo, and then people started chanting, We are assholes. My God. And then I, w- I remember thinking, like, fuck, if I would have had the WWE machine behind that, yeah. you know, that marketing. Uh, I know. We would have been somewhere else right now. Well, but then again, you would be so big, you wouldn't be on my podcast now. So. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> It works out for me, selfishly. <laughs> now, what about coming out and when you, the old mic drops and announcing your name twice? How did that come to be? Well, when I was in high school, I announced basketball games okay. at my high school. Oh, nice. So, um, I remember I did, I had this mass media class okay. in 10th grade, I think. ninth or 10th grade. And as part of one of the projects we had to come up with a fictitious product mm. and then market it a couple different ways. You have to have a radio commercial, a print ad and a, right. and a television commercial or something, you know, uh, three types of mediums. And I did this invincible underwear, you know, because there was a kid in our class who always got picked on and they okay. would always give him wedgies and, sure. you know, and so I came up with this invincible underwear and then we actually had him in the commercial. Oh my god, that's and hilarious! Like you know, he's, he's in the locker room. And these bullies come up behind him and try to <laughs> give him the wedgie, and like, right. and then you know, and and I remember uh, I I had him mouth because because he had a really high pitched voice. Okay. And I remember I mouthed you know 
nothing's happening. That's because I'm wearing invincible underwear. <laughs> and uh, my my teacher came up and she said, I want you to, I see you announcing the basketball games and stuff like that. Right. So I ended up announcing high school basketball games, boys and girls, for all four years that I was there, you know. Oh, wow. uh, and then... Somewhere along the line, somebody suggested to me, like, hey, just like they did in the old boxing, you know, old boxing, you should say the last name twice. Mm -hmm. So I started doing it, but I would just do it for our guys. Oh. You know, Jose Luis Garcia, Garcia. <laughs> and uh, and then I would say the other team, and I would just go, uh, yeah, Bob Jones. <laughs> you know. Wow. And so then fast forward to me being in OVW. Mm-hmm. And Paul Heyman told me, he said, tonight I want you to go out there, cut the ring announcer off, tell him he's a piece of shit, uh, dress him down, and then you do your own massive introduction. And uh, and so when I went out there, I just kind of, you know, it dawned on me, I, I, I hit my last name twice. And when I came through the curtain, it was like all the boys like that was fucking awesome that you know last name twice mm -hmm. and it's, it's funny because it's like it's such a stupid thing right um five weeks later i was on tv i was on smackdown and oh. you know nothing really changed other than i just started saying my last name twice <laughs> you see but then again that's what i love about wrestling it's the things like as much as you you grind you hard work and obviously luck's involved too but it's those moments where it's like, ah, this won't work. I'm just going to try it anyways. Next thing you know, it's a whole career and you're off and running, right? It is. It's just absolutely crazy. And it was, I, you know, Dr. Tom always said, like, uh, luck is where preparation and opportunity collide. And, yes. you know, you can't, very few people are lucky just literally sitting on the couch and doing nothing. I mean. Exactly. No, it's so true. You got to back it up, as they say, too, right? Oh, and then the funny thing is, is once that happens, then you're an overnight success. It's like, well, <laughs> I just spent six years trying to get here. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. Okay, now you got the pipes and the range. You ever think <laughs> of having a singing career? Uh, no. <laughs> uh, my father is actually in a band. Okay. He's a, he's got some good pipes. Um, and the funny thing was, is I. I didn't know him as a kid. I didn't meet him until, you know, well, actually I didn't connect with him until about seven or eight years ago. Oh shit. Wow. Um, I've met him a few times here and there, just like okay. one off meeting, but I'm amazed to this day how much we have in common, like the way we tell stories, wow. how animated he is and how I am. And there are times where I'll tell a story and my wife will go, Craig, what's going on, Craig? You know, like, <laughs> oh boy. But uh, I was not given the gift that that he had with the with the singing voice. What, what about like announcing? Like, obviously, you could announce yourself coming to the ring. Now, I'm not. I'm not saying play by play. I'm saying like sort of like how the buffers do it and stuff like that. Because I could so see you doing like MMA or boxing or anything like that. About a year and a half ago, I, uh, a friend of Samoa Joe's reached out to me. And asked me if he got me in touch with uh, the people at top top rank boxing, top rank, and I actually flew out to California and I did okay a, a card oh, or wow. a portion of a card 
for them. It was kind of a tryout or whatever. Um, so I've actually done it before. And up until that point, I ne- it never dawned on me. It never occurred to me that I should, that I should do that. But I, I've actually thought about it since then. And I've considered reaching out to like MMA companies and things like that or, or local boxing just to get my feet wet and sort of pay my dues. And, exactly. You know, but it's definitely something that, that when I'm done wrestling, mm-hmm. that I might, I might pursue that a little more. Now, are you a combat sports fan? Are you into MMA, boxing and all that? I mean, I, I like it. Sure. I just don't, uh, I don't watch religiously. I mean, I'll, gotcha. I love seeing a good fight. Um, but yeah, I don't watch the pay-per-views or anything like that, really. No, I got you. Totally get it. I'm a huge MMA fan myself, and people don't understand how I could distinguish the two from wrestling, like pro wrestling and MMA, because they're like, oh, like they always say, re- wrestling scripted, MMA is real, but it's like, what I get from MMA is a spectacle of someone really getting the shit kicked out of them. What I get from wrestling is the storytelling and the athleticism, which you don't see in MMA. So you combine them both. To me, that would be the perfect sport, right? Totally, totally. <laughs> I, I, I never understood, I don't understand to this day, the, the well, wrestling's fake thing. Yes, right. it is. And so is fucking Jurassic Park <laughs> and Iron Man and Avengers. Yep. And yep. Right? It's, yes, we, we get it. Nobody's trying to pull the wool over anybody's eyes anymore. And trust me, I, I speak on it all the time when I talk to other wrestlers and people about wrestling on the show. It's the same thing. And even when it goes for, I don't know what, how you feel about intergender wrestling, but if you could have Black Widow facing off against the Hulk, why can't we have intergender wrestling as well? Again, you know what I mean? No one's seriously getting hurt. It's all athleticism. Well, well it's the thing, you know, I, and I, I've changed my opinion on it. I'm sort of still okay. in two minds about it. Uh, I spoke with uh, Mike Quackenbush a couple of years ago, and he really, because I asked him, like, you know, the intergender thing, because I know he does it at Chikara. Right. And he said, well, he goes, you know, because everybody always complains that it's male on female violence, and we don't want that. Yes. And he said, no, it's different because they're willing participants. In the domestic violence situation, uh. <laughs> person isn't willing whoever's being beat the fuck is not of course however in a wrestling ring somebody has signed a document that's mm-hmm. i am going to compete and the you know the other thing is that i'm okay with it i like it mm-hmm. it's just that it has to be done right thank you and yeah. it has to be done right in the sense that you know big show versus ray mysterio is going to be uh, Rey Mysterio is going to have to attack him differently than uh, Brock Lesnar will attack. You know, if if Rey Mysterio is picking the Big Show up and suplexing him and stuff like that, like that's where we start to yes, wrestling is fake. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, I feel like it is our job to hide the wires to you know to hide the green screen and of course. It, it, I I feel like you know when you have Males and females, there's a clear size and strength difference. I mean, there is a difference between men and women. There just is. Right. Um, you know, as far as physicality goes. Mm-hmm. Um, when you see it's just toe-to-toe, that just bothers me. But that bothers me when I see, you know, a smaller wrestler wrestling a big guy. Right. As long, like you said, as long as it's told right, it's told right. Like, for example, Impact is doing a great job now with Tessa, Right. You know what I mean? So they're doing it the right way. 
even back when uh, Lucha Underground was still around, when uh, Sexy Star won. Again, yep. that was believable because it was like comic bookish. You know what I mean? But yep. you, like you said, you can't just put anyone up against anyone and be like, here, here here's intergender because then it won't really work, right? So you need a build up, as they say. Yep, exactly. And I feel like it it helps make the storytelling process. It's a it's a challenge to come up with ways of making it work. Right. But it's also a little easier because you have these parameters that you have to stick to. Like, you know, it it I think makes storytelling um, much more entertaining or exciting. No, for sure. Now let's get into your WWE career because a lot of people know you from those days as Mr. Kennedy, obviously. And and everyone knows now Mr. Kennedy was a riff on Vince McMahon's middle name Kennedy, right? So it all was woven together. Kind of, yeah. It was it was kind of. It, it was um they did I was Anderson, I debuted as Anderson on oh, Velocity. That's, that's right, and, yes. And then I think it was my third week, um, I showed up and we were in Canada and Johnny came up to me and he's like, Hey, they want you to change your name. <laughs> Vince wants you to change your name. We got to go have a meeting with him in a little while, and uh, so I went in. I, I actually I called Paul Heyman, who had helped me out, you know, immensely mm-hmm. down in OVW, and was part of the reason that I got out of OVW in the first place. Right. And I called him and I said, "Hey, they want to change my name. You know, and, uh, what am I going to do? And I, I don't want to have a dumb name." And oh, I had these. My logo was these backwards K's, and I was Kamikaze Ken on the independent scene. That's right. And I had made, come up with this logo, and I sort of wanted to keep that. Mm-hmm. And so we started thinking of K names, and then and then he said, "Well, you know, you need to you need to pick something that's near and dear to Vince's heart, like something that like he has a personal connection with." And so we started going through, and he was like, "His dog's name is Ruckus. What about Kenny Ruckus?" And, he had another dog named Rumpus, and so we were kicking around all this stuff. Sure. And then, uh, and then he goes, Kennedy. Kennedy is Vince's middle name. Mm-hmm. And uh, so then, when I went in, and Vince asked me, "What you got any ideas for for names?" And I said, "I, I prefer Mr. Anderson." And he said, "No, I, I don't want to do it." And his reasoning for it was like right. he didn't know how I was going to fare, how I was going to pan out, and he didn't. He said, "I don't want you associated with the other Andersons that have come before you in the business, and uh, I don't Thought want people you. thinking that okay. you know it's nepotism or yeah, yeah." And without saying it, I feel he, if I would have completely shit the bed, then I would have been the the shitty Anderson. You know? <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so that yeah, then. I said, what about Kennedy? And he kind of smirked, and he goes, you like it? And I go, I, I do. You can call me whatever you want. You can call me Mr. Dickhead if you'd like to. Uh, and he just kind of smirked, and he pointed to Kevin Dunn, and he said, make sure he's got Kennedy on his Titan Tron tonight. Yeah. Uh, another kind of funny story, when we were coming up with, uh, you know, like I said, we were sitting in that circle. It was just a circle of, like, folding chairs. Okay. And he had asked me about my catchphrase and he said, no, we can't do that. Cause we're, you know, family friendly. Yeah. And then he said, uh, then Johnny said, well, maybe you can kind of get around it. He goes, because you could, what if your name was like Adam hole? <laughs> so you could say nice guys finish last. Thank God I'm an a hole. Right. And the, 
the room kind of went quiet for a minute. <laughs> Vince just looked at me like, goes, do you like it? Right. And I said, yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny, but I feel like that sort of name would be something for somebody that's just going to be here for like a couple months. Yeah. It would be like a flash and fan thing. I plan on being here for a while. And uh, Good answer. You know, it was almost like a, a <laughs> test, possibly. Like, oh, if I would have said, yeah, I'm cool with Adam Hole, I would have oh. been fucking Adam Hole. Probably. And then and then you'd be Mantar and gone off TV in two months. <laughs> One and, yep, exactly. One and done. <laughs> That's hilarious. Okay, what I, what I, the one thing I've never asked because I've had former champions on in the past too. What, what I need to know: your first championship was uh, the U.S. title in the WWE. It was a triple threat. You beat Finley and Lashley. Yes. Now, how do you keep a straight face? How do you go out there knowing you're going over and winning the title, but you really can't show it until the end of the match? Like uh, to me, that's such a mindfuck. Mm, well, because to me, you know, I don't mean to undermine it at all, and kind of. Uh, it's you know at the end of the day I always looked at it as it's a prop okay I'm out there to do a job the job is to make the people say yay when they're supposed to say yay and boo when they're supposed to boo and Mm -hmm. just entertain and you know some of the most fun I've ever had in my career was losing okay just because you know you hear that reaction from the crowd whether it's a big pop for the baby face and, or cheer and it was like we fucking did it we yeah. got him you know like um so i just it, it was just business it's just part of the job i guess i never really felt like i'm not really the champion mm-hmm. and it's i don't mean to take anything away from it because you know it is a you know it, it, it does mean something it, it does mean something that the company thinks at least highly enough of you at the moment to sort of make you a, an ambassador but it's it's just part of my job gotcha no that's again that makes total sense like and plus like you said it is scripted it is whatever so it's not like winning i hate to compare it but it's not like winning the super bowl or something where you know your hard work got you there it's not dependent on someone writing the script out or whatever you know what i mean even though you guys do work hard to get there and there are dues paid but it's sort of not the same right Right, exactly. I mean, you know, the business is competitive, but at the same time, it's it's also teamwork and it's, you know, every champion hmm. had to have an opponent that lost him. And, exactly. And that, loot, that loss doesn't come in a legit way. It's because somebody wrote it that way, you know? No, exactly. Now, you feuded with some of the legends of the business. Like, just, I couldn't even imagine how many people you face like from batista undertaker cena sean michaels and this is just wwe i'll get into tna as well because there's some legends there too now out of all these guys what did you learn the most out of being in the ring with one of these legends at the time Uh, that's so hard to to, because each one i guess brought their own thing right they did they did and it's like that it's almost like when somebody asks me who was your favorite opponent it's so hard to to say i have so many and uh i I don't know it was just you know like one of the one of my favorite experiences was the first time i ever got a chance to work with undertaker okay it was on a house show Mm -hmm. and he uh he just said look i don't i've never worked we've never worked before um just listen to me 
We literally didn't talk about anything. Oh, wow. We didn't put a match together backstage or anything like that. He just said, listen to me and get your shit in. When I, you know, when I tell you to come, right. I can bring it. And then uh, I just, I listened and it was the most liberating relaxing feeling that I've ever had because oh. I knew that I was in the ring with such a pro right. that I just had to listen and if, you know he called a specific thing I just had to execute it mm-hmm. but it it's just such an amazing feeling to have all that stress you know because when you put a match together and there's all these intricate spots and things that you might forget it's just it's really stressful and I'm not I don't have a very good memory I, don't, I have the worst <laughs> short-term memory I just, I've always, I always have. I mean, when I remember when I was a kid, my parents would buy me watches and sunglasses and stuff like that, yeah. and within fucking two weeks, it would be gone. And then a couple of years later, I would ask for another watch or another <laughs> pair of sunglasses or something. They'd be like, Are, you're going to lose these, so I'm yeah. not going to get And I would beg them, no, no, I won't lose these, and then fucking sure, sure enough, I would lose them right away. Right. You know, so I, so when, when I have a bunch of stuff to remember, mm. I, I stress out. Oh man, again, you're speaking to the choir. I'm the exact same way too. My short-term memory is like, I even tell my wife, I go, come talk to me in five years of what we did yesterday. Cause then that's when I'm going to remember about it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, another funny sort of similar situation was there was a SmackDown. I can't remember what was, where it was, but there, mm. the first segment in the ring was a talking segment as okay. usual. It was uh, King Booker. They had just, Booker T was the had just won King of the Ring, okay, and it was Regal and Finley and Booker's Court basically out in the ring for a ten minute promo segment, and then the second match was going to be uh, me versus a local guy, just like kind of a squash match, okay, and then the next one I think the match after that was Matt Hardy versus Psychosis, and segment one, the King Booker thing was in the ring, and I'm doing push ups and sort of going over my match with my <laughs> opponent, and Matt comes tear around the corner and he's like do you know that we got a match and it's uh we got a three segment match and we're up next and i was like get the fuck out of here johnny ace came running around the corner he's like all right guys come on come on and vince had just i guess he happened to be sitting in the gorilla position and looked down and realized like what the fuck is this this is not how you start off a wrestling show give give those two fucking three segments and tell them to tear the house down sure and that was another one where uh, Matt, I just listened to Matt. Nah. And, I mean, we had worked with each other enough that, like, I had some stuff in the tank. But for the most part, I'd say he called ninety percent of that match, oh, and sure. it was, again, it was like one of the most fun experiences because it's stressful. Mm-hmm. And then when you go out there and you know it feels good, it goes well. Then it's, ah, oh, I can do this. You know? Yeah, exactly. And again, like you said, I could only imagine memorizing so it's sort of like an actor, like knowing his lines and whatever. But if you've done like Broadway and you already have done it so many times, it's like muscle memory. So to you, it's just going out there and having a blast, right? So that makes yep. so much sense. Now, one last thing I want to know about your WWE career. This was interesting. I, I just had no idea about this. First off, your first loss in WWE was against Eddie Guerrero. And you also had the last televised match against Eddie Guerrero. How was my, that? Did you say my first loss was against Eddie? Was uh, televised? Was, is that correct or no? I think it was Matt Hardy, actually. Oh. I feel like it was Matt Hardy, but I could be wrong. Um, no, maybe, I don't know. Maybe it was. I can't. 
again, there's my short term memory. I'm just going to say, right? <laughs> there it is. Short term, long term, medium term. Um, but yeah, I did have Eddie's last match. That was that was a crazy, crazy scenario situation. Um, I happened to be riding with Eddie and Chris at the time, Chris Benoit. Oh wow! I when I first got to the company, I was riding with some of the guys that I knew from OVW. Okay. And I remember Batista pulled me aside and he was like, "Who are you riding with?" And I just told him, and he was like, "You know, nothing against those guys, but what what are you going to learn from riding with those guys? Like, you need to get in the car with a veteran." Makes sense. And so I went over and I asked. Benoit and Eddie, who were riding together, I said, can I ride with you guys? And they, Chris said, I'll, I'll talk to Eddie about it, and I'll get back to you. And then he came up to me later on, and he goes, all right, we're going to let you do it, but you're doing all the fucking driving. <laughs> and I was like, absolutely. Right. And and then, so I rode with him for two or three weeks. It was a great experience. And I remember after the after the show, so I, the last thing I did to Eddie was hit him over the head with that chair, and I, wow. I brought it, too. Like, he told me bring it mm. and i did and then when we got backstage like he was definitely concussed because i sure. fucking hit him hard right. and um you know and then we went out to eat we went to a steakhouse i think we were in indianapolis me chris eddie and kevin fertig who was uh seven and mordecai all right okay kevin thorne we went out had a steak and then uh you know eddie and chris were laughing at me because it was getting, the next week was going to be my first overseas trip oh. and they were like we're gonna fucking shave your eyebrow when you're sleeping. <laughs> okay. we're gonna you know <laughs> all these ribs they were gonna play right and, uh, then they were telling me all their experiences and stuff um and then i pulled up the, i live in minneapolis mm-hmm. and the show was in minneapolis at target center and i remember i pulled into the to the driveway in the back with the talent parks and the guy came running out and he was like uh, did you hear about Eddie and I said no and he's like he's fucking dead Shit. and I just it was just the just an awful atmosphere in that locker room it was just so crazy so surreal I can only imagine my god and I guess for you it's an honor to have his last televised match obviously right yeah I mean you know it or does it, it just, doesn't matter it just, it just sucks that right He's gone. I, I'm fortunate that I uh, that I was able to be in the ring with him at all, mm. and we did that that spot with the chair where he fucking you know he smacks the the chair on the ground and then throws it to me. Yeah, and the ref catches, turns around, <laughs> sees me with the chair and disqualifies me. It was just classic Eddie, you know. Of course. And I, every once in a while, somebody will post that on my Facebook or something okay. like that. I'll see it, and they, you know, they do the. They they show the video and then at the end they play uh, they they go to black and white they freeze the frame and they put the sunglasses in the joints. Oh yes, the okay that meme. Yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> oh that's hilarious. <laughs> well you brought up ribs. You came from an era obviously where ribbing was not. I'm saying in quotations was still allowed because nowadays obviously it's all different. But what was the worst rib that was done to you coming up in the business? I I never. I never really got ripped. Really? Oh, okay. Yeah, honestly, I never got ripped. Uh, you know, at one time, Dr. Tom said, I don't rib because I don't like to be ribbed. Oh. And I always thought that was, you know, because uh, some of the ribs in the business can be, they, they can be funny, but they're, I mean, oh, yeah. I've seen some really fucking mean ribs pulled on people. I remember <laughs> one time we were overseas and, uh, 
there was a guy that went around and this person shall remain nameless, but of course. <laughs> went around and gathered up all the shampoos and conditioners and soaps okay. and stuff and poured them into like a big Ziploc bag and, right. and uh, slid the open end of the the Ziploc baggie underneath this guy. This guy wasn't getting along in the locker room very well. Sure. And uh, slid the open end of that Ziploc and stomped on it as hard as he could until oh. it shot all over the guy's room, apparently. You know? And then came downstairs and he told everybody, Right. Hey, I did this, you know, so and so, and then, so then we all got to sit there and watch as the the guy came down. You could see that he was clearly fucking pissed, right. but trying not to sell it. Of course, you know that. So, wow. and, you know, and other things that, but no, I never got personally ripped that I can think of. Oh, so good. I guess that's a good thing, right? <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> It doesn't make for very good storytelling, but... Uh. Well, I guess not. But hey, you still pulled one out of your ass, so that's good enough for me, man. <laughs> <laughs> now, let's move on to your TNA career, because you had a nice lengthy career there as well. You won your first official heavyweight title, because at the time when you won, if I'm not mistaken, TNA was pretty much the number two North American wrestling promotion, right? Right next to WWE, right? Yeah, so, that, was, that was pretty much it. It was that WWE, TNA, Ring of Honor. Yeah, Ring of Honor was still there too. Yeah, exactly. But they still had that more indie look to it. Even though they're on TV, you could tell, yeah. like, you know what I mean? But not because they didn't want it. That's what they were going for, and that's what they're doing, right? But, but TNA had a big budget too, and yeah, they were able to true. get big stars. And I mean, when I first got there, mm. they, the, the roster was insane. It was like right. Hulk Hogan, Eric Bischoff, Ric Flair, Jeff Hardy, Matt Hardy, um, Kurt Angle. RVD, Sting, Mick Foley, That's right. Scott Hall, Kevin Nash. I mean, it was just crazy how oh much top-tier talent was there. Well, exactly. And you won your first title against Jeff Hardy, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yes. And you spoke yep. of his brother in the ring. How good is also Jeff Hardy then in the ring? I loved working with Jeff. I, the, I, the, the thing that I liked most about working with Jeff was he, he's such a laid-back guy in real life. Mm-hmm. Um, he's just easy to get along with, easy to do business with, to put right. matches together, and he, you know, we like to be innovative. So we were always trying to figure out how to do the same thing that we've always done, just slightly different, so that it has sure. a different feel. It was fun, challenging. My goodness! And then also, you won your second title against an icon in Sting. How was right. sharing the ring with Sting himself? I mean, that's awesome. You know, I I would say I'm. At the end of the day, I am still a wrestling fan deep down inside. That's cool. And there are times like that where I, fuck, I'm, I can't believe I'm actually doing this. You know, right. I try to be as professional as I can and and not, I guess, show that on my exterior. But at the same time, inside, I'm going, this is freaking cool. And um, I remember when TNA said that they were going to put Sting and I together. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was coming up in the business, I remember I would get if I would go down and I would try do tryouts for TNA when they were at the Nashville Fairgrounds. This is when they when they first started out. They had a pay per view every Wednesday night. I don't know if you remember that. Right, one. it was like on Fox Sportsnet or something like, like that. Yeah, it was like yeah, yeah. five bucks for a pay per view, but it was every Wednesday night. Right. Um, and I remember a couple people saying, "Hey, you remind me of a young Sting because I had the bleach blonde hair." And that's right. So then. When they paired us up, I I said, I 
brought it to Sting and I said, hey, you know, what if I dressed up like old Sting, like <laughs> with the, the bleach blonde hair and all that stuff? And he, he loved the idea. And so he brought, he actually brought his old gear in for me to wear oh, for wow. those segments. And then he painted my face. So oh, I'm shit. sitting there in the back, Sting's painting my face like him. Right. It's just a surreal sort of moment. Oh my goodness, I could only imagine. And another surreal moment I would imagine too, because of TNA, you got to wrestle at Triple Mania. Yes, yeah. Now, was... what I need to know is, everyone says the Mexican audiences are crazy. Is it the truth? Are they just salivating and it's just like old school time wrestling down there? I love them. I love, <laughs> I love wrestling there, seriously. It's so, it is so fun. Um, and that atmosphere, that, that was such a big show. Right. Uh, yeah. Absolutely true. One hundred percent true. Oh my! Did anyone throw? Okay, at the time, because I don't remember. Were you a heel or were you face at the time when you went down? Oh, I can't remember. <laughs> I, I think I was a heel. I believe I was a heel. I feel like I worked Abyss. Mm, I, I worked. I think I did two of those. Oh. Okay. And I feel like one I worked Abyss, and then. I don't know, I did some sort of weird six-man tag or something like that another time. But, so no one uh, threw anything at you? You didn't have thumbtacks thrown or little Lego pieces? <laughs> well, <laughs> I didn't get anything? that much heat, Unfortunately, I didn't get that much heat. <laughs> oh, my God. And then the last thing I need to know about TNA, this whole Aces and Eights. A lot of people loved it. Most didn't, maybe yeah. because it was sort of forced together. I need to know myself. Are you a, are you into the biker culture? Are you a rocker at heart? Were you all into it? Like, because you played it off pretty well, especially towards the end when it sort of started falling apart, and then that whole uh, story with you becoming VP of them and all that. Because that, to me, that looked again. You you wanted to be an actor. I'm assuming you're a fa fairly good actor, right? Well, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I, I I try to be. Um, <laughs> if I wasn't, it wasn't for lack of trying. Um, but. You know, it was Eric Bischoff's baby. He oh, came up with the idea okay. and put everybody together. And uh, I really enjoyed it. I, I had a lot of fun working with those guys every week. I think there were some things that were frustrating about it. Obviously, you know, armchair quarterback kind of stuff, things that we all wished would have been done a little bit differently. Like um, one of the things that I always thought was that we were seen too much on TV. Oh. You know, we would have six segments sometimes on a, on a show. Sure. And they would play our music. We would hit the ring six times, and they would play our music every time. It's like, um, I, I, I've always said, when you go to a wrestling show, mm -hmm. and the announcer says, "Well, the main event tonight, we've got Kurt Angle versus Jeff Hardy," and like you get that giant reaction from the crowd, that takes away from the reaction that they'll get later on in the night. I think. And yeah, it makes sense. When you're seen six times in one night, it's just the crowd starts to kind of groan. And the other thing that uh, no, and it really never dawned on anybody at the time. Okay. For the entire time that we were doing it, we were never. I think we had one segment where we actually had motorcycles. We were <laughs> motorcycle enthusiasts. That's hilarious. Who never rode motorcycles? <laughs> oh my god, that's so funny. <laughs> and. and you know, like when somebody would want to get in, right? They would just get patched in, and you know, you look at the the actual biker culture, mm. um, those clubs, like 
the patching in process mm-hmm. is I, I feel like there was a kind of a miss there because there could have been some fun with the uh, what are the people called the prospects whatever the prospects. you know like people prospecting and things like that it's true because so. now you could have actually done real life ribbing for storytelling right yeah, right exactly yeah <laughs> oh that would have been actually again hindsight and quarterback right or armchair right. quarterback what can you do and now you're currently with NWA yeah speaking of old school to me I think this is a perfect fit for you uh, you have that old school tone you're a good in-ring tactician as well you, and also you could talk because NWA has a lot of those talking segments now which I'm a big fan of because I find that we got away from that a lot like at one point there was too much of it now it's all about the in-ring aspect where there isn't even a build-up it's just a cold match even though these cold matches sometimes are fantastic but you don't have a lead-up and a storytelling like how you guys are doing it on NWA so how did all NWA came to be did you approach them did they approach you uh, it was uh, Nick Aldis. I've mm. been friends with Nick for years, and then the, he he reached out to me and sort of said, "Here's what's here's what's going on." Um, kind of gave me the rundown of the TV show, the sort of show that they were envisioning. Okay, and it said, "I want, I'd like for you to be a part of it, and I'd like for you to be a part of it, like creatively." And oh, wow. I, initially, I just thought I was going to be like um, helping with producing and storylines and stuff like that and then then it was like you know wearing two hats so i was a producer behind the scenes and uh for some segments and then actually doing the in-ring stuff too oh wow and how are you enjoying it i'm assuming you love it then love it it's awesome it's just a good positive environment um you could tell it's fun because one of the things that billy and dave that I think is different especially now in, t- in today's day and age mm-hmm. um, everything is scripted and I'm not you know, I'm not belly aching about that okay. that just that is the way that it is in other places WWE TNA um, and Billy just wants to bring back the he truly wanted to bring back the old school feel where you were given the ability to either f- sink or swim mm-hmm. And you do it on your own accord, you know, like, um, you look at Eli Drake, Eli Drake, I think is the best promo in the business right now. I agree. that none of that, as far as I know, is nobody tells him to say any of that stuff. He literally, you know, they give him bullet points Hmm. and they give him, this is where we need to get to. You get us there. And, you know, same thing. It, It sort of dawned on me. I think it was the second set of tapings that. Everybody there can talk. Right? Yeah. And, and you know, it's look so at true. Nick, James Storm, Nick Aldis, yep. the Pope. There's another one, exactly. And uh, Colt Cabana's another one, too, like all these guys. Yep. Mm-hmm. Trevor Murdoch, uh, Ricky Starks. I mean, it's just like, it's really cool to see everybody can, everybody can talk, and they're able to go out there and give their own interpretation of the character instead of, you know, it's really hard for some reason. Wrestlers do not study acting. I wish, I wish they would. Right. Um, because at the end of the day, that's what it is. Like they give you a script mm-hmm. and they tell you emote, be sad, be mad, be this, whatever. Right. Like, and wrestlers go out there and they try to be mad and it comes off as disingenuous and it comes off as canned. And you know, like you've seen, countless numbers of promos on Monday Night Raw or SmackDown or whatever that just sounded like 
Yeah. Like I was reading it off a script, literally reading off a script, and um, it's sort of done away with here. Oh, that's all. And again, and it shows, and it's fantastic, and just everything about it, the old school set, the old school vibe, the one hour, that's a big plus for a lot of people nowadays, too. I love it. Dude, less is more. One of the, one of my big gripes with entertainment today is so many freaking movies are two and a half to three hours long. I know, right? I, I remember I saw Avatar in the theater when it first came out, and okay. I remember... Like there was still thirty minutes left in the movie, and I remember thinking to myself, "I fucking get it. Let's take it home." Like I, it's so it, true. It just it feels like that, and the extra stuff doesn't seem to add much to the story. It's mm. just filling time, and you know, uh, the one hour thing is beautiful. It is. I hope it stays that way. Yeah, perfect. Exactly. Now I got to know one last thing about NWA. Do you guys get a discount to Smashing Pumpkin concerts? <laughs> I actually did get a. I, I my wife and I went and saw Billy when he was here when the Smashing Pumpkins came to Minneapolis. Uh, about it was two years ago, three years ago, two and a half years ago, something like that. So there you go. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> One of the coolest experiences, yeah. kind of cool experience I had in the business was when Billy first came down to TNA. Um, mm-hmm. One night. John Gaborik, who was uh, you know, brought in as being the new, he was in, in charge of everything, talent relations, right. creative, marketing, everything. Um, and he went around and told everybody, hey, tonight, Hard Rock Cafe or Hard Rock Hotel, because that's where all those guys were staying. Mm. Um, meet down at the bar and Billy's going to put on a private little show for us. And mm-hmm. so we went in there. It was about 20 or 30. Nah, it was about 30 people, maybe three or four stragglers that just happened to be hanging out in the bar that were, and literally Billy came out there and he put on a whole, wow. you know, he probably did 10 songs, 10 of his hits for us. It was a really cool experience. And you see, and I think that's also needed for someone to run a wrestling business nowadays. You need that work ethic of going out there and leading by example. Like, you know, and as much as people say it and hate to admit it too, that's why WWE is so successful. Cause even people say to this day, Vince McMahon doesn't sleep. Right. And that's why everyone falls behind him and the, tr- and the machine keeps us go- going. Right. Yeah. I think Vince has a hard time actually relinquishing the reins and saying like, mm-hmm. I, I can't do all this because you know, he's, he's still from, T-shirt designs, you know, Vince has to get the final approval. It's everything, every aspect. And Billy is very similar. As far as I know, Billy locks himself into a room or, you know, a cave or his home for a couple days and goes into whatever process he goes to and he writes all the scripts for, he writes the entire show by himself. Oh, wow. And then, or, you know, all... One of the tapings we did nine. I think the first one we did eight episodes. The second one we did nine episodes. Oh, he wrote all that himself, and then and then he comes out and sort of gives it to Dave and I don't know whoever else is in that mm-hmm. you know in that process, and then allows them to. All right, what do you think of this now? But right. it's Billy's writing it all. It's really cool. Wow, that is cool. Okay, usually I like to end the show with the dumbass of the week. But before I get to that, <laughs> I want to touch on your uh, wrestling academy that you have. Like you mentioned, yeah. you're out in Minneapolis. This started in 2016. Are you, now, are you the only trainer? Do you have other guys there? Are you full-time base? Or is it just your name on the marquee like the old school guys used to do? Yeah, 
it's just me. No, and I don't have my name on the marquee. I don't have, you know, if you go to our website, I, I think there's a picture of me on the on the homepage, but it's... No, it's No, it's not. It's just the Academy School of Professional Wrestling. Okay. Um, I don't want it to be about me. You know, I, right. I understand that that may... I have to sort of use that whatever name I do have to attract people maybe. Sure. But... Once they're there, I want them. I don't want it to be about them. Okay. Um, and we've got a really, really awesome family that we have built over the last three years. Um, we've got how fifty students right now. We've got people that started with us on day one are still oh, wow. are still training with us. Still come once to three times a week. Um, it's really cool. It's fun. It's way more rewarding than I ever thought it was going to be. Now, do you have all guys and gals who want to actually make it into business, or do you have like those part timers that just want to come in and just bump every so often? And that's a good question because um, I, I feel like success is in the eye of the beholder. It's okay. I, and I tell this on day one whenever we have a new class. We start a new cycle every three every three months. Oh, okay. So we have a new set of 10 students that will come in and I always give them the same speech. Like I, I asked them when I, I asked them to introduce themselves, tell, tell us about yourself a little bit, mm-hmm. tell us who your favorite wrestler was and tell me, where do you see yourself in this business? Okay. And you get people that, uh, I had a, an attorney, this guy's like a partner at one of the biggest law firms in the twin cities oh, shit. who said, I just want to have a match. You know, I'm, whatever it was 37 years old it's time okay. he's like I, I'm not getting any younger any younger my wife pushed me to do this mm-hmm. he just wanted to have a match and he did he graduated he's one of our graduates um, we, like we've had 260 65 72 we're nearing like 275 people that have come through nice. we have 25 graduates okay. so only a select few make it he was one of the graduates and he wrestled for a year and okay. then hung him up and you know it was like super cool. And then we've got guys that actively are pursuing going to the WWE. They do. They they send their submissions into NXT, and whenever WWE comes around, they try to get on as an extra and do the things that I did when I was trying to make it. You know, no, it's course. really it's cool to see. And I we've got people that just strictly want to go to Japan. And we got people that just want to blow off some steam with their buddies on the weekend and have a good time. And, and it's, it's kind of cool because I'm able to facilitate as much as I can, you know, that experience for, for those people. And it's so cool in today's day and age now where you don't have every wrestler saying, I want to go to WWE. Some want to go to New Japan, some want to, or whoever in Japan, they just want to go do there. Some people want to go to Mexico. Some people now with the NWA sprouting around and AEW, there's so many places that everyone could go to. It's not just an end and all be to the WWE, right? And I think that's fantastic. It's such a good time to be in the business. Uh, It's so fun. To see there's just, like you said, I mean, it's just like the there's so many good independent groups out there. Mm-hmm. you got MLW and uh, yep. all these, every year at WrestleCon, there's like 10 promotions that run big shows and like, who would have thunk? <laughs> right. 
this is where we would be at. But it's it's really cool. You know, WWE locking guys up in these giant contracts mm-hmm. for several years, three to five years, you know, just to make sure that they don't go anywhere else. And uh, it's an interesting problem to have. Right. It, you know, there. I know that there are people that are at WWE. Because if you get into this business, most people, like the money is really cool. And that is an uh, enticing aspect of it. But like, you want to wrestle. I want to go out there and entertain. That's the drug. Yeah. Um, and so when you know, not everybody can be on TV, you only have so many hours worth of time to fill and uh, not everybody can do it. You have people that are making a shit pile of money that are sitting at home or sitting in the locker room, mm-hmm. you know, wanting to be out there. So it's an interesting dynamic. No, it is. It's again. It's it's one of those first world problems, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. One last I, question about your school. I need to know this. What's the thing that frustrates you the most when you're trying to train a student? Thing that frustrates me the most. Um, Honey, my wife, my wife is sitting right here. And, uh, How long is your shirt? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Good answer. You know, I, I I do get frustrated from time to time. I think it's when uh, look, I get everybody learns at a different pace. Okay, of uh, we've got people from all sorts of. Varying degrees of athletic background. You got some people that have two left feet, and you got some people that, like, they get in the ring, and everybody, every single time they get in the ring, like, everybody's going, What the fuck? (laughs) No. We got a guy that he just, it looks like he's flying every time he jumps. Um, uh, But the thing that frustrates me, I guess, is when we go through a a particular drill or uh, trying to teach somebody a certain way of doing something and mm-hmm. I have 10, 10 students that get in the ring before and everybody I've given the same critiques over and over and over again and then somebody gets in and you know I and I don't have a very good uh, attention span and if somebody's right. even whispering while I'm trying to talk I it throws me off gotcha guys please listen. um and then they get in the ring, and because they were goofing off and bullshitting on the sidelines, they now don't know what we're doing. And that's, that's I guess, the most frustrating thing. Yeah, I, again, and I could see that, and especially you, your professionalism, yeah, right? Exactly. And, and the other thing that kind of frustrates me, I guess, is when people don't take advantage of opportunities, like mm. the circle squared thing, right? You know the what the circle squared thing is? No, what NWA is it? NWA now is... Um, they, they put out a separate show called Circle Squared on YouTube. Oh, okay. That is basically, it, it's tough enough without having to go through all the okay. hoops and, and, you know, live in the house and stuff like that. But it's okay. people that want to get a contract, want to make it in the business, mm-hmm. that all they have to do is submit a, a picture, a resume. They have to send in like a five-minute match and a oh, promo. Okay. And I messaged, I put a, you know, we have this private message group on Facebook mm-hmm. for just academy students. And I'm like, how is it that only one person has done this? That's the kind of stuff that, that frustrates me because I would have cut off my left testicle right, and possibly my right one <laughs> to just 
you know, be given that sort of opportunity. Yeah, I don't get it either. Like even in the podcast game, I see so many people skip episodes and do this and say, oh, I'm feeling sick, so I'm not going to do this week's episodes. Again, I don't want to toot my own horn, but I've been going 155 episodes consecutively without missing one. That's amazing. And it's like, if if anything, I understand the content's different for everyone and everyone has different tastes. But if anything, that's what's going to rise the, the cream to the top if it's deciding of what podcast listen to. It's like, should I listen to this guy that's better than him? Or should I listen to the consistent guy who's always going to put out shit and I know he's going to be there? You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Yep. And I, I will say that this, honestly, this is one of the most fun podcasts I've done. <laughs> Thank you. Ever. Because oh, it's wow. not just the same typical... Because the thing that always frustrates me when I do a, an interview is sure. when somebody has apparently just gone on to Wikipedia and scribbled down a couple of the key points sure. and then basically goes through and asks me questions just to confirm what they already know. Like, <laughs> right. you know. No, I get it. See, and now people could, uh, the listeners know already, but I try and have people I already sort of know or I've seen, so I have some sort of background on them myself, so I have personal questions to ask. Because to me, this whole journey of this podcast is, Talking to the people I used to like watching on TV and just going down the path of, hey, when I was watching then, I wanted to know this. Now I really want to know what this is and just go from there. And yeah, it's so true. The cookie cutter questions, if you want that. And I always say, I'm no professional. I'm not a journalist. It's just two people shooting the shit. And sometimes, again, like you said, the stuff that you plan for usually doesn't happen. It's the shit that you pop out of your ass that works, right? Yeah, totally. So, you, you ever watch The Hot Ones yeah, well, on YouTube? The hot ones. Which one's that? What is that? The guy that I think they just did their eighth season. He sits down. They have like ten chicken wings. Yes, the spicy shit. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. It's it's such a cool thing, and the the questions are always, you know, you can't wait to hear what what is he going to ask him next. You know, it's exciting. It's not just a typical interview. And again, and I'm sure it's like how I do my shit. It's organic as much as that word is tossed around too a lot, but you know what I mean? That's the word. Like you got to make it. And that's, again, it shows the talent above everyone else. If you're willing, because again, a lot of people think I'm funny. I'm not funny. I say to people, I say I'm witty. There's a big difference. Like I'm able to bounce off people. And I've said it before with other guests, especially comedians. I'm like the Andy Richter to Conan O'Brien. Like I'm not the main guy, but I'm the guy who could riff off the other guy. So that's why I try and get guests that everyone knows. So then I'm just that little guy in the corner uh, piping in every so often, right? Well, I'm just a dumb fuck, so uh, <laughs> congrats. So perfect. <laughs> Speaking of dumb fucks, you want to get into the dumbass of the week? Please. What a great segue. Exactly, right? You see, organic, again. <laughs> okay, this one, I don't know which one's the dumbass. So to me, there's a, there's a bunch of dumbasses this week. Okay, I don't know. Are, are you a fan of The Office? Have you ever watched The Office? Do you watch The Office? No, I no. Okay, well, anyways, my wife, my wife loves it, and okay. she keeps telling me you gotta watch The Office, gotta watch The Office, and I just I can't, <laughs> I can't get into it. Okay. Like well, again, I'm sure everyone's done this. Everyone uses GPS nowadays. It's not like the olden days. You know what I mean? You have your phone there, you run off GPS, right? But me and you both come from the back in the days where you used to actually use a map or call. Up from a phone booth to get directions, right? So we sort of have a sense of direction. MapQuest. There you go, yes. You print that shit off, and then you make like a whole long book of it, and then you just yep. <laughs> highlight it, right? I remember when I first started on the business, when I first started out in WWE, mm. we would look at the whole loop, and you'd have to sit down at the computer and print out like, you know, from 
this airport to this arena and from this arena, you know, like in the deep, you'd have a stack yes. of 30 pages for the weekend, for the loop. Oh, trust me, I know. When me and my wife first met, we used to go up north, as we say in Toronto, to hit the cottage where it's out and abouts, right? And it was the same thing. We'd have to print everything out, and then if we were to get lost, you go to the gas station, right? So we sort of know how to get somewhere if we get lost. But nowadays, people depend on this shit way too much. And now, one of the big apps that everyone uses to get around is Waze, right? So everyone's familiar with this app. Now, there was a little glitch... A, a, a little few weeks ago where people were trying to get to Atlantic City, but it was sending them to New Jersey instead. And not only somewhere in New Jersey, in literally nowhere where there's no roads, it's just forestry, and people would still keep going and not stop. Now, my question to you is, when is enough enough? Like, I understand you got to follow, maybe you've never been there, but when you stop seeing streetlights, when you stop seeing people, when you start <laughs> seeing bears, when there's no more road... Don't you think you should stop and be like, hey, there's something wrong here? You know, I, I'd like to think that I, I would never do something like that. Right? However, I, there have been times where, yeah, I remember I used to, like, you, you'd have it in your head, like, i got to find an exit. The, the exit is 12 miles away. Right. 12 miles ahead, and it was almost like you had this fucking, you know, clock in your head. Exactly. And uh, I've, there have been times where I got, I'm on GPS and I'll just completely, and I, I hate the voice. I always turn her off. She yeah. drives me insane. I'm the same way. Um, and so I turn it off and I've been zoned out and all of a sudden I'll look down and I'll realize like I'm fucking 10 miles out of my way. <laughs> but I, now I'm 10 miles out of my way driving from like Minneapolis over to Green Bay, which is just pretty much a straight shot, you know, gotcha. it's highway okay. the whole time. So it's right. it's not quite as bad as I guess looking for the big big lights of Atlantic City. <laughs> right? to, you know, nothing. That's crazy. Oh, and, and the whole reason why I brought the Office up, if you ever do watch, and if you don't, I'm sorry, it's going to be a bit of a spoiler. The, the main character, Michael Scott, follows the GPS because they're in Scranton, Pennsylvania, and they go into like the suburbs to do a, a meeting of some sort and he's following the GPS and he has one of his coworkers beside him and the GPS is telling him to turn on this road that leads into a lake. So he turns and he's going. The GPS is still saying, go straight. His coworker is saying, stop. No, there's a lake right in front of you. Look up. And then the main character, Michael Scott, his famous line is like, no, she knows what she's saying. I'm following the GPS and they go right into the lake. It doesn't stop. Oh. <laughs> I, it sort of reminds me of, uh, I, was, I was with my, I was with a family member one time um, and I was sitting in the passenger seat. This lady was driving. Um, she's like an ex-aunt-in-law. Okay. And I was giving her directions. And I was like, take your next right. You mean like right here, right now? Yeah. No, fucking not. Your next right. <laughs> so like She literally would would cover the brake. I said, you mean it's like right, right now? Take a right? Like, where the fuck are you going to take a right? There's, there isn't even a driveway there. We're going over a bridge. How are you going to take a right? Oh my goodness. And see, uh, those are the people I don't understand. God bless their souls, how they pass their driving tests. Well, I tell you what, now that we're on that subject, <laughs> sure. that, that probably is my biggest pet peeve in the world. Uh, for some reason, I've driven in probably 30 or 40 states. You know, Okay. Um, I feel like Minnesota has the absolute worst drivers in the entire world. Really? Uh, like, 
nobody knows how to, and this is not just a couple people or 50% of the people. Okay. Every time I merge onto a highway, yeah. I merge at like, you know, the people getting on in front of me are doing 35 miles an hour. They'll try to merge at oh 35 God. miles an hour when, you know, it's your responsibility to meet the speed. Of course. I find that hole and hit it. But oh, every day I, I drive to the academy. We have a 35-minute drive to the academy and a 35-minute drive home. And oh, wow. I always get there, and I'm like, just, I'm in a bad mood already. See, that's a big reason why I don't drive anymore. I'm sorry. I let my wife do all the driving. I'm done. I can't take oh, it anymore. Lucky you. I, I cannot wait. <laughs> I'm sure you probably feel the same way. I cannot sure. wait for driving cars, self-driving cars, to be a thing, yeah. like a ubiquitous thing where everybody, it's just everywhere. Because if I never drove another minute in my life, I, that would be okay with me. Yeah, I'm the same way. I'm sorry. I'm like I, like I'm not the whole guy about having a fast car or hearing it rev. You know what? I don't care. Like I, again, this is gonna be a bad joke, but my dick is a decent size where I don't have to have a muscle car. So you know what I mean? I'm good. <laughs> but other than that, to me, a car is just to get to point A to point B and sometimes C, and that's it, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> oh, perfect. We'll end on that then. I hope you had a good time. Let well, I guess you did since you did mention it. So I did. I really did. Perfect. Um, so if you have anything to plug, if you want to, anything where people could find you and uh, the socials, yeah. all that fun shit. Fantastic. I, um, if you're interested in becoming a professional wrestler, you can uh, check out our website, the Academy School, uh, the Academy Pro Wrestling.com. We're on Facebook. We are on Twitter and Instagram, the Academy SOPW. And uh, I'm on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Twitter is Mr. M-R Ken Anderson. Instagram is Mr. M-I-S-T-E-R Ken Anderson. I'm currently working on, I have a, a YouTube channel. It was a channel that I started when I first left WWE and I was making okay. regular content and, and stuff. And I, I fell off for several years. But uh, that second power too, I'm going to start hammering that again and nice. coming up with some content uh and i'm also in the process of getting on mixer so uh you know i'm already on there mr ken anderson yeah and uh just thank you for giving me the opportunity no i i should be thanking you my friend thank you and i really appreciate it and for myself you can find me on instagram twitter under finger styles follow the podcast on Twitter, the podcast dap. Email us your thoughts, suggestions, comments, anything you want to get off your chest at the podcast dap at gmail.com. Rewind to the top of the show. Please support those fine sponsors because if it helps them out, it helps me out. Rate, subscribe, review, all that fun stuff. And visit my merchandise store and buy something fun as well. All good? Wonderful. On that note, he's Mr. Anderson. I'm Steve. This is the podcast. Peace.